Luke chapter 2, verse 1. Let me read, if I may. And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And this taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria, and all went to be taxed, every one into his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea, unto the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and the lineage of David, to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. And so it was then, while they were there, that the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you, you shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. I struggled for a title for the message today, but I want to talk about the significant, or shall I say, the significant hid among the insignificant. How about that? The significant hid among the insignificant. Before we get into this biblical text, I want to approach this text this morning basically from a historical point of view, understanding the important role that history played uh, in the birth of Jesus Christ the Lord. But before I get into that biblical text, permit me, if I may, to use an illustration of history from our own 19th century that serves as a caveat or an illustration of what I want to say about the biblical text this morning, if that's all right. Well, that being said, let's look, if we can, for a few moments. History tells us that in the early 19th century that all the eyes of the world were upon Europe as Napoleon was going through all of his campaigns and conquering much of Europe during that time. Uh, during that time, you heard about the marches, the campaigns, and about all of the wars uh, that uh, Napoleon was going on. Now, babies were being born during that particular time, but nobody seemingly had time to talk about babies as long as blood was being shed upon the ground throughout the nation of Europe. As a matter of fact, many, many babies were born. But all the attention of the world of that day was upon Austria, uh, especially as uh, Napoleon was going through Austria with one campaign after the other. Blood shed upon top of blood was being shed all over the world at that time. And all the attention of the world had focused itself upon Napoleon. But again, uh, it was babies that were being born. And while all the attention uh, was upon Napoleon and upon all the things that he was doing, there were many babies that were being born uh, in America and in Europe uh, that would eventually one day be the movers and the shakers of humanity. But again, nobody had time to talk about babies as long as Napoleon uh, was doing his thing. With that being said, let's look at the year 1809. In 1809, it was during that time that Napoleon was going into Austria with one campaign after the other. Uh, but during the 1809, there were many, many births of babies, uh, both in America and in England, uh, that would prove, I believe, to be the movers and the shakers of the world as they grew up. As a matter of fact, William Gladstone uh, was born during that time. Uh, he became the first uh, uh, statesman of England. 
Uh, during that time, Alfred Tennyson was born here in America, and we know that he became one of the greatest poets uh, that the world ever knew. We also know that during that time that Edgar Allan Poe, another writer, was born. Also, Charles Darwin uh, was born during that time, as was Oliver Wendell Holmes. And yet, from Hardin County, Kentucky, in Tennessee, uh, from a little log cabin, could also hear the cries of a newborn baby that they named Abraham Lincoln. So what I'm trying to say, while all the attention of the world, I was focused upon Napoleon and everything that was going on with his campaigns, and that's where all the significant things seemed to be happened, I would submit to you that there were a lot of insignificant births as far as the men and women of the world was concerned that was taking place. And yet, had there been any type of newscast of that particular day, had there been a Jerusalem Post, uh, or not a Jerusalem Post, but had there been news of that particular day uh, where they would say, well, history is being made today upon the battlefields of Austria uh, as Napoleon and his armies are going through and conquering uh, the world. But was that really the truth? I would venture to say that outside of a few history buffs today, that very few people uh, could name many of the campaigns uh, that, that, that Napoleon was engaged in in Europe back in uh, the middle of the 19th century. But I believe that virtually every one of us in the room and under the sound of my voice, we know men like Oliver Wendell Holmes. Uh, we know of the Tennysons of this world. Uh, we also know about Edgar Allan Poe. We know about Charles Darwin. And we certainly understand the name of Abraham Lincoln. But yet all the attention of the world was on Napoleon. But I would submit to you that history was not really being changed on the battlefields of Austria with Napoleon. But I believe that history was really being changed and formed uh, within uh, the cradles in America and the cradles in uh, uh, England uh, as mothers had in their arms the newborn babies that would grow up to be the movers and the shakers of this world. Are you following me? Now again, all the attention was on Napoleon. That seemed to be the significant thing. But I suggest all the attention should have been upon the birth of those babies because when they grew up, the world would radically change because of what they did. Now, with that being said, let's focus our attention now for a few moments, if we may, upon our text this morning. The same could be said at the time when Jesus was born in Bethlehem. Uh, no one in all the Roman Empire cared about the birth of the Mary's little baby. Nobody could care at least about the birth of this virgin-born child of God. Because all the attention of that day was not upon Mary, not upon Joseph, not upon those people. All the attention of that day was upon Rome. Notice what the Bible said again uh, here in our text this morning. And remember, Rome ruled the world, and that's where history was being made, wasn't it? Or was it? Rome ruled the world. That's where history is being made. But really, was that where history is being made? In Luke 12, 12 uh, 2, 1, it said, And it came to pass in those days, there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world would be taxed. What did Luke refer to here? What days did he refer to? What was the scene at that particular time? It was not Napoleon of Austria. The scene at that time was Caesar of Rome. Uh, the Roman Empire took over everywhere. As a matter of fact, Rome ruled the world, the known world at that time. Uh, she went as far west, uh, ruled as far west as the uh, Atlantic Ocean, uh, ruled as far east uh, as the Euphrates River, uh, ruled as far north as the Danube and the Ryan's River, and as far south as the Sahara Desert. 
And yet that's where all the attention was on Rome and upon the Roman rule of that day. Everybody was scared to death, petrified of what was going on with Caesar Augustus, petrified of what was going on with Herod, petrified with what was going on with Cyrenius as he came down from Syria uh, to put a heavy taxation upon the people. But I'm here to tell you, nobody had more power uh, than this man by the name of Caesar. But in the midst of all of this, there was a little piece of property known as Palestine. And this little piece of property at this point had been free of the Roman rule. And up to this point, it had been mighty protected by God. May I say even today that that little piece of property about the size of New Jersey is still under the hand of God. And that piece of property, that real estate, that little state of Israel uh, is still secretly some way being protected by the Almighty God just as it was in the day of the pinning of this writing today. And yet it was during that time that Caesar Augustus was about to take over this little piece of property, this state called Israel itself. It had never been happened up to that time. But God had protected them. There was one man by the name of Herod the Great who had been given permission by Caesar Augustus or uh, had been uh, uh, given, uh, not permission, but sent by Caesar Augustus uh, to go down into Palestine and to try to bring those Palestinians, those Jewish people, into line with what was supposed to have happened. Now, upon the death of Herod the Great, we know from history uh, that he left a will. And the will and the will stipulated that when he died, all of his territory was to be divided among his three sons. When Herod the Great died, uh, uh, Caesar honored, for the most part, uh, the will of Herod the Great. So one of his three sons, one of them by the name of Cyrenius from Syria, was obligated to come down into Palestine and they, he was to rule Palestine and to basically line the Jewish people up to where they would be ready to come under the Roman law, the Roman government. With that being said, that had never happened before. But in order for that to transpire, two things had to take place. First of all, Cyrenius had to get the people to the place where the, the, the authority of the Jew would be submitted over and transferred over to the Romans. The second thing they had to do was put a heavy taxation plan upon the, Palestinian, upon the uh, people of Palestine, the Jewish people, so they could come over and be the same way as everybody else was uh, within the Roman government of that day. But looking back, the significant thing among the people was Caesar on the throne, Cyrenius bringing taxation upon the Jewish people, and translating the power from the Jew over to the Roman. That seemed to be the significant thing, but was it? Here comes a woman by the name of Mary with her husband-to-be by the name of Joseph, and she's pregnant. And everybody is full of talking about all the shenanigans going on in Israel because of Rome, and nobody had one minute's worth time to talk about a baby about ready to be born. This was not just any baby to be born. This was the Son of God that was about to be born. But nobody had time for Joseph and Mary and the baby within her womb. All the significant thing was Caesar on his throne. But notice, if you will, in Micah chapter 5 and verse 2, what the Scripture tells us. Micah 5, 2. But thou, Bethlehem Ephrathath, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, Yet out of thee shall come forth unto me this to be the ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been from old, from everlasting. I rejoice in knowing while Caesar was busy doing his thing, 
While Caesar was saying, I've got this in control. While Caesar is saying, my plan is working, he did not realize that he was a catalyst in the hand of God to fulfill Scripture that had been written 800 years prior. Now, if that greases your wagon wheel or not, but it does mine. Caesar instructed the people to pay taxes. That meant that Mary and Joseph had to travel 80 miles from Nazareth all the way to Bethlehem in order to pay taxes there because it was set up. You had to go to your county seat, basically. It's equivalent to a county seat. So they had to come all the way to their county seat, which was in Bethlehem, all the way from Nazareth. And the whole time, uh, uh, Caesar thought that he was the big cheese in the factory sitting on the throne uh, calling all the plays. He was nothing more, Caesar was nothing more than a delivery boy for the fulfillment of the prophecy given by Micah some 800 years prior. What's the importance of that, Pastor? Well, think about this. Bethlehem means house of bread. And yet to partake of such a census meant that required they had to go back to a little place called a county seat, a house of bread. As insignificant as a little house of bread could be. Insignificant to the world, but how significant it was to God. Do you see the insignificant was hid among the significant? And what was that? a little baby being born. Just another baby. Just get him out of our way. He's nothing but a crumb cruncher. No, much more than a crumb cruncher. The Son of God. And while all the eyes were upon Caesar and all the eyes upon Rome and all the eyes upon Cyrenius, just a baby? Don't think so. He's the Son of a living God. Notice if you will also, to say 800 years ago, a baby will change the world. Look what it says in verse 4 and 5. That he will uh, arise a shepherd of his flock and be our peace. Think about this. For Micah to prophesy that it be fulfilled 800 years later, be like some prophet that they said, out of Kathleen uh, will come somebody that's going to change the world. And we wait 800 years, boop, there he is. What's the chance of that, that happen? You see, we don't put a lot of stock in things like that, do we? Uh, because we don't think it can happen. But God said there will arise out of Bethlehem, a little place the signet of the size of a loaf of bread. Out of him will come somebody who will change the world. And while the world is looking to, Pharaoh, looking to uh, Caesar and looking uh, to all of those government officials, the most important thing was happening in the womb of that mother. What about today? What do we hear today? What's the significant thing in our news today? Iran, Iraq, Russia, China. Who, do, who are the figures we talk about? Biden, Trump, Pelosi, Putin, Schumer. Who are the people we hear about all the time? These talking heads on television. Oh, they're telling us the things we ought to think, the things we ought to be listening to, the things that we ought to believe. And we as Christians get caught right up in it. We're thinking these are the most significant thing in all the world. Inflation. High food prices, all of our goods are out in the Pacific Ocean waiting to get shipped to us. Oh, we're panicking. COVID and the virus are coming, all these different variants are coming out. Oh, we're going, what's going to happen? Let me tell you something. God 
Almighty is sitting on the throne today, and while God Almighty is sitting on the throne today, and while all of our politicians think they're the big cheeses, and while they think they're running the show, sometimes they're nothing more than an errand boy to fulfill the prophetic word of the Almighty God. Hallelujah. Let me tell you, our God rules and our God reigns. He knows what he's doing. So we might think that what the, what the newscast tells us is the most significant thing. It may not be at all. It might just simply be errand boys to deliver the word of God to be fulfilled in the day in which we live. That's all we hear about all the things going on in the world. But when's the last time anybody ever got on this? Uh, let me tell you what the Bible says. You know, I get so fed up with this global warming stuff. We could save ourselves billions of billions of dollars. And I'm not being political, I'm just being honest. If you've got a problem with this, just go to Lowe's and get a ladder and get over with it. <laughs> we could save ourselves billions of dollars if we would just look to the Word of God. They're talking about global warming. The, globe, the, the world has always gone up and down in heat. But if you look in, Exodus, or in, in Genesis 8.23, God has already said as long as the earth is here, there'll be seed time and there'll be harvest. He's always going to take care of us. And the world one day is going to be destroyed, but it's not going to burn, it's not going to burn up. It's going to pass away, which means it's going to turn, change from one form to another form. The fervent heat will use it to burn it up and to, to, to purify it, even heaven itself. But it's not going to happen while we're here, praise God. So we spend all this money, we do all this stuff, and all these squeaky wheels get all the grease. But if we could just go back to the Word of God and say, you know what? All those things may look significant to the world, and it may look good to Fox and CNN and all these commentators that make their living putting out lies all the time. But if we'll go back to the Word of God and say the most significant thing is what is God getting ready to do in glory, and what's next on the agenda of God? Let the Caesars roll, I let the politicians do what they want, but my eye is up on the eastern sky for I know that it's soon and very soon my Redeemer glory to God is coming back to receive the church unto himself. Well I've been hearing that all my life. Well we're going to keep on preaching and we're going to keep on believing it because one day glory to God it's going to happen. The trump of God is going to sound. The dead in Christ is going to hear his voice. We are going to lie remain shall be caught up to meet the Lord forever in the clouds of glory. Hallelujah to the Lamb of God. Glory to God. The King is coming back. It's not about King Caesar or King Biden or King Trump. It's about King Jesus, and he's coming again. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Can you praise him this morning? So what's the most insignificant thing today? Jesus, the church, prophecy. They think this is all insignificant. So did Caesar. So did Pharaoh. So did Darius. So did Nebuchadnezzar. So did the other Herods. So does Biden. So does Harris. So does Pelosi. So does Sherman, Schumer. And those on the other side of the aisle as well, many of whom could care less about what the Bible says. Let's just get rid of that and all the Christians. But soon and very soon, we shall see the King. Hallelujah. Soon and very soon, we shall see the King. Glory to God. Well, Pastor, what about the politicians? We voted for this one, didn't get it. We voted for that and didn't get it. Let me tell you something. The Bible said God holds the heart of the King in His hand. He sets them up 
and he sets them down. Now this is not political either, not meaning to be, but people have asked the question. I didn't want Biden to be our president. I wanted Trump to be our president. We prayed. We just didn't pray enough. Let me tell you something. The church prayed. We prayed. God has who God wants for a purpose. God has in there. He has ordained offices and they're there for a purpose. We pray for those in office. We pray God will give them wisdom, that God will save them and not save, but they're there for a purpose and it could very well be that God has who he has, where he has. So the politicians can talk their rhetoric. So the newscasters can preach their rhetoric. But so God can have all of the marbles lined up in the right direction in order for the king to come back into the world. So church, don't you be discouraged today. God's not sitting on the throne taking Maalox and pumping ibuprofen. He's got it under control today. He's not going to sleep for our God doesn't sleep nor does he slumber. And the hour that you think not. And we got a lot of folk up there not thinking. And let me get over here and say this. I better get down here and say this. We've got all the oil in Alaska and Texas. We've got all the dipsticks in D.C. But we pray for the dipsticks. Amen? Lord, the anointing lifts. I'll feel awful on that one. When Mary Joseph went to Bethlehem, it was a confused jungle. Think about it. Hundreds and hundreds of people were there trying to find a place to stay for taxation. Now in biblical days, normally, when a person traveled, they would travel in a convoy or a caravan. But when they got there, there was no place for them to stay. So they looked for an inn, and no, no Motel 6 had the light on. They didn't have any holiday inns or road inns or none of that stuff. But what they did have was kind of like bus depots. And people would go in and they would wash and clean themselves up and they'd move out and somebody else would come in. But the only place they had for this woman that was about ready to give birth to her child was a cave on the side of a hill where the flocks, the sheep would stay and the shepherds would stay with them. That's the best they had. The Holy Son of God, surrounded by glory, walls of jasper, gates of pearls, and streets of gold would succumb to be birthed in a barn for animals and a manger which was a feeding trough was nothing better for his bed. And there the Son of God is lying there as the most insignificant thing in all the world but in reality was the most significant. That's the best Mary could do. That was the very best she could do. The place to stay except the down shelter. Nobody cared. There was no room. The Bible said Jesus has gone away now to prepare a place for us in my Father's house or many mansions. The word means room in the Greek. He's gone away to make room for us. But the world had no room for him. Amen. We as Americans and around the world, we have kicked God out of our world. But he's invited us to come to his. Yes, yes, yes. I got to hurry. So much I could say this morning. 
God cared, and that's why Jesus came. Isaiah 7, 14, Therefore, the Lord himself, that's not Isaiah. Therefore, the Lord himself, if he will give you a son, behold, a virgin will be with child and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. I made a mistake on the text. I do the Columbus typing one hand. That's wherever you hit, that's where you land because of this thing. So I messed up on that. Pardon me. Thank God, the humble birthday of Jesus Christ. She brought Emmanuel into the world. Now think about this for a moment. When Christ was born and all the jungle that was there, all the hoopla that was there, of all the activity, all about Caesar, all about the Roman government, all about taxation. You know how we are as people, boy. It, th that conversation catches like wildfire. But the angel of God appeared to shepherds. Yes. Now, at the birth of Jesus Christ, why didn't the angel appear to the rabbis, to Caesar, to Cyrenius, to the Pharisees, the Sadducees, to some government officials? Why in the world to shepherds? I'm sure you know this. Every day in the Old Testament sacrifice, lambs, turtle doves, pigeons, whatever, had to be sacrificed as an Old Testament offering. Those lambs had to be without a spot, without blemish. So therefore, the temples, temple people, they had their own flock, if you will. And they had their own shepherds keeping their own flock to make sure that those sheep were the perfect sheep for the sacrifice in the temple. So these shepherds were considered outcasts. They were nasty people. They were, they were looked down upon by the religious leaders because they couldn't wash their hands. They couldn't go through the ceremonial cleansings as the Jewish law required. So they were looked down upon. Ostracized. I didn't even trust them. They thought they were a bunch of renegade, a bunch of thieves. Isn't it amazing what man thinks about some folk? God don't. And the angel was sent to the shepherds keeping their flock. Because you see, those sheep, those lambs, would be sacrificed in the temple and the blood of those lambs would cover the sins of the people for one year. And it was like God came down through the angel and said, you've been watching these lambs, but let me show you about the Lamb of God that will take away the sins of the world and not just cover them. For unto you this day in the city of David, a little house of bread, a little loaf of bread, this day in the house of David, the most significant thing in the history of the world has happened today. It may not sound like it from what's going on in the news. It may not sound like it from what's going on in the streets. It may not think about it because of what's happening among people talking. But I'm here to proclaim the most significant thing in the world happened today. The birth of the Lamb of God, yeah. which will take away the sins of the world. Amen. And they made their little walk. And they walked over and their eyes beheld God's plan of salvation. And they walked away with joy in their heart and peace in their heart knowing that in the midst of all the hustle, in the midst of all the bustle, in the midst of everything that was going on, God had fulfilled his word. Yes, yes. Hear me. Of that day and that hour, all the significant things was happening in politics, in government, and among government leaders. But only a few had their eyes and their ears and their spirit attuned to what the most significant thing was, and that was the birth of Jesus. If we're not careful, even as Christians, we can be all tuned in to what the world calls important and significant about coronavirus and these variants and our politics and our politicians and our inflation and China and Russia and the list goes on and on. And we can miss the next most significant thing 
on the calendar of God's events. Come on. And that's the coming of our Lord. In the meantime, we're not in the sweet by and by. We're still in the nasty now and now, as you know. What do we do to keep our hearts from failing from fear? Because it's so easy to be caught up in what the world's promoting. It's so easy to be caught up in the world that we live. Look, we're not putting our head in the sand and denying the realities of where we are. When the disciples understood in John 14 that Jesus was about to leave them, their hearts were saddened. They had just seen uh, days before uh, people uh, throwing uh, palm branches out in the, in, the, in, the, in the highway as Jesus went by and proclaiming him, Hosanna to the highest, this is the Son of God, our Messiah. And now their hearts were jubilant, but they said, oh, wait a minute. You're going to be taken away from us. And in John 14, he said, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me and my Father's house. There are many mansions. If were not so, what I told you, I'll go and prepare a place for you, and I will come and receive you unto myself. That's the hope he gave. He basically said, You believed in God the Father, whom you cannot see. Believe in my words. I'm leaving you, but I give you my peace. And friend, God Almighty gives us peace in the midst of these perilous days in which we live. I mean, to tell you, the, listen to the news long enough, it'll rob you of your peace. Amen. They come in crazy Geritol commercials. Do you have tired blood? If you watch that junk all day long, you're going to have some tired blood. We need to baptize ourselves in the Word of God. And saturate ourselves in prayer and let God speak to our heart. But he said, I'll give you my peace. Not as the world gives. You can go to the drugstore and buy some sleep. You can't buy no peace in that bottle. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives, I give to you. He gives us peace. He said, be not troubled. The word trouble means your heart is literally falling apart. There's enough in this world happening to make our lives fall apart. But Jesus said, I don't want you falling apart. I want you to have peace in the midst of what's going on in the world. Don't, be, uh, don't, don't see what's happening there. Keep your eyes upon the one that sits on the throne. Amen. Are you with me? Abraham Lincoln said one time, I can understand people looking down saying there's no God, but I can't understand people looking up and saying there is no God. Hey. If we keep looking down, we're going to be depressed. Right. But if we look up and see him who sits upon the throne. We can be encouraged. The night that we live in is black and dark. But friends, if you look upon a dark night, you see the stars peeping through the floor of heaven. And that's the way the promises of God are. They're like stars that brightly shine in the midst of our darkness. But the Lord Jesus Christ said, I go away. Let your heart be troubled. In other words, he wants to give us peace. Now, that doesn't mean we're not going to cry. Doesn't mean we're going to have some fearful days. Doesn't mean it's going to be easy. It's not. Go ahead and weep when you have to weep. Go ahead and, and, and understand fear is part of life, but perfect fear, ca perfect love casts out fear. He also said, I'm going to give you a place when he goes away. In my Father's house are many mansions. That word mansion is, means room. And with that being said, he's going away to prepare us a room. In biblical days, a culture of that time, if a son was about ready to take a bride... He and his father would build an extra room onto the house. He in turn would go out and get his bride when the room was ready and come back and take his bride into that room. <laughs> Guess who the bride of Christ is? He's gone away to prepare us a room. And once it gets finished, he's coming back to take us unto himself. 
Thank God there's a place called heaven, a place prepared for a prepared people. What's heaven going to be like? No more COVID, no more death, no more dying, no more crying, uh, no more pain, no more sickness, no more disease, no more separation, no more what the world gives. There's a home called heaven that you and I will abide in forever and ever and ever, praise God. That's the heaven that we're going to. He promised us his peace. He promised us a place, but he also gave us promises. If I go away, I will come back and get you. I will come back and get you. I don't know about you, but I'm ready to go. I'm sitting on G waiting on O. How about you? We're ready to go. I'm ready to blow this popsicle stand, friend. God has put eternity within my heart. And like Solomon of old, man longs for his long home. Hallelujah. He's given us precious promises. We can stand on the Word of God, and the God who gave us that Word will stand by us, church. And finally, He's given us a plan to get there. I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. In the midst of all we see happening in the world, we cannot deviate from the plan of God. We cannot deviate from the Word of God. We cannot deviate from the leading of the Spirit of God. Stay in the book. Live the book. Know the book. Practice the book. And practice His presence in the meantime. The Holy Spirit is going to deliver unto Jesus Christ a chaste virgin called the church. But here's the problem. If we keep our eyes upon what the world says is significant, we may miss the insignificant, which really is the significant. Does that make sense? How do we keep ourselves clean in this dirty world? <laughs> I read a story years ago about a dad that was kind of frustrated with his little three-year-old kid, four-year-old kid, whatever. And he was just constantly into stuff. So his dad found a picture, a puzzle of the world. The kid didn't know what the world looked like. But he gave that kid the, pu- the puzzle and said, son, work on this and I'll occupy you. 10, 15 minutes later, the boy came around and said, daddy, I finished. He said, that's impossible. He said, how'd you put that puzzle together in the world so quick? He said, well... The other side of the puzzle was a man. I put the man together and the world came out all right. If we get this man together, it's going to work out all right. Would you stand with me this morning? I hope this made sense. Let me say it again. The world says the significant stuff is what's happening on their newscast and politics and government. I'm here to tell you the most significant thing is what God's up to. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Keep your eyes on Jesus. The next thing on God's agenda is the trump of God.